Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate so much you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought tonight we would talk about baptism, water baptism. Who, what, and why? What I mean by that is we're going to discuss three issues that we see in our religious world today regarding baptism. First of all, we're going to talk about who should be baptized. Many churches will baptize infants. Some churches insist, no, you can only baptize believers. We're going to examine that issue. What, when I say baptism, what? I mean, should baptism, does it have to be immersion or will sprinkling or pouring uh, get it done for baptism? And then the third one, the third question, baptism, why? A lot of churches are saying you don't have to be baptized to be saved. We're going to prove conclusively tonight from what God says that you do have to be baptized to be saved. I know a lot of preachers say you don't, but they're making stuff up. It's going to be obvious from the scriptures that you do have to be baptized to be saved. And you, no arguing, no amount of arguing can change what God says because he's the authority in our religion. He decides what is true and what is not. And by extension, his word is our authority because that's his written instructions to us. And his written instructions say without dispute that you got to be baptized to be saved. So it won't do us any good to argue against it if the Bible says it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, every time the Bible tells us the purpose of baptism, it talks about baptism a lot in the New Testament, but not every time does it tell us the purpose. But every time the New Testament tells us the purpose of baptism, it says you have to do it to be saved. That's the purpose, to be saved from your sins. Let's begin by talking about who should be baptized. And let me, before we look at some passages that directly show that infant baptism is unscriptural, that we should only baptize believers, let's talk about why this doctrine, why this practice of infant baptism was invented by the Catholics to start with. The Catholics invented this doctrine, this practice of infant baptism, because they had this false concept. They taught, and some of the Calvinists do too, that babies are born guilty of the original sin of Adam. We call it inherited original sin. And so they started thinking about this. If babies are born guilty of sin, which the Bible teaches against, by the way, but if the Bible teaches babies are born in sin, then if they die in that condition, they're going to be lost. And and that would be right. If babies are born guilty of sin, then if they die before they grow up to be a believer and are forgiven, they would be lost. So they started baptizing babies in order to get rid of this inherited original sin. One false doctrine led to another false doctrine or a false doctrine led to a false practice. The Bible never teaches anything like that babies are born guilty of somebody else's sin. They're born completely innocent. As a matter of fact, the guilt of sin cannot be transferred. That's impossible anyway. For example, if I do something wrong, they're not going to say, and if somebody else says Ed Vargas is guilty of that sin, well, that would be a lie. That would be trying to rewrite history. If I'm guilty of a sin, you can't say somebody else is guilty of a sin. Even God wouldn't do that because it's impossible for God to lie. He's not going to lie and say, Ed is guilty of the sin that Pat did. You can't transfer the guilt of sin because God does not lie. You don't rewrite history. What you can transfer is the punishment for sin, the payment or the penalty for sin. You can say, if Pat sins, then if Pat will trust and obey, Jesus will pay the penalty for his sins with his death. But you can't transfer the guilt. So we ought to know right off the bat 
Sin is not something that you can transfer or inherit. You inherit like your hair color or your how tall you are, but you don't inherit sin. That'd be like saying I'd inherited riding a bicycle or I inherited washing my hands. No, washing your hands is not something you inherit. It's something that you do. Sin is not something you inherit. It's something that you do. Now, let's prove this from the Bible. Ezekiel 18, 20. It, there's no way you can make it any clearer that we do not inherit sin. Now, I know a lot of the religious world says that you do, but they don't care what the Bible says because this verse, it's like God knew ahead of time that someday in the future, some Calvinists or Catholics were going to teach babies are born guilty of sin. And so he put this verse in here to make sure we wouldn't believe that false doctrine. Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Notice it says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Not somebody else shall die. It's not if Adam sins, Pat will die. Or if Adam sins, a baby will die. You no, know, it's the soul that sinneth, it shall die. If Adam sins, Adam is going to die spiritually. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Seth is the son of Adam and Eve that we probably all came from. And this says, Seth did not inherit the guilt of sin from Adam. It says, my, and my dad's name was Kenneth Donahue. This says that Pat Donahue did not inherit sin from Kenneth. Sin is not transferred like that. It says the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. It says the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. In other words, if Ed does something righteous, Ed's going to get credit for that, not Pat. And it says the wickedness of the wicked should be upon him. So if I do something wrong, God's not going to charge Ed with that. He's going to charge Pat with that. How could anything be more clear in proving this idea of inherited original sin is false? Yet people continue to believe it because their preachers say it's true when the preachers can't prove it. And they're all very scared to have a public debate on it. Why are they so scared to do a public debate? Why is that? Because they know that their doctrine can't successfully be defended by the Bible. So they want to preach their doctrines without doing a public debate because they know nobody's there to answer it. Like Andrew Farley, he would teach this, but he won't agree to have a public debate on it because he knows deep down he can't defend what he teaches by the Bible. So he just hides behind this thing. So he just preaches what he wants to preach. He won't defend it because he knows it can't be defended. That's the way a lot of preachers are. Now, let's look at another passage, and that is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. If you have a Bible question now, I want you to give me a call. Comment, question, the number to call is 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Ecclesiastes 7.29 makes this also clear. It says, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Now, is this, when it says God made man upright, is he talking about Adam or is he talking about all of mankind? The newer translations will say mankind, and they're right. It's not just Adam. We know that because it says God hath made man upright, but they, the pronoun they, referring back to man, is not singular. That's a plural pronoun. They have sought out many inventions or sinful schemes. So all of mankind is made upright, innocent, 
completely innocent, not guilty of sin. The reason they're not remaining innocent, the reason they're guilty is because they seek out sinful schemes. It's not because they're born that way. They're made upright. All of mankind, every single person when they're born is born completely innocent. Why are they lost then? Because they sin. I'm lost. If I've not been forgiven, I'm lost, not because of Adam's sin, but because of my own sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So the very reason that the Catholic Church invented infant baptism was based upon a concept that runs contrary to the Bible. Oh, they say babies are born guilty of the sin of Adam. Therefore, we need to baptize them to get rid of that original sin or else they'll be lost. But they don't have any original sin. You don't inherit sin. That's impossible to inherit sin. Sin is something you do. It's not something you inherit, like what color hair you have. So babies don't inherit sin, so they don't need to be baptized. They don't have any any sins to to be washed away at baptism. A false concept led to a false practice. But let's look at some verses that directly show that infant baptism, it runs contrary to the Scripture. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. How about Mark 16, 15 and 16? Talking about Jesus, it says, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Now, if you think you see this verse, it's talking about baptism. But if you take verses 15 and 16 together, you see that that person being baptized has to do two things first. He's got to hear some preaching and understand the preaching of the gospel. He has to understand the gospel and he has to believe the gospel according to this verse. And so it's not scriptural to baptize an infant because this passage teaches that a person's not qualified to be baptized unless first he hears the gospel understands the gospel and believes the gospel. An infant can't do that. It's not through any fault of his own. He's not mature enough in order to believe the gospel. So he can't be baptized. It's no coincidence that at the exact moment a young person grows up and gets mature enough to understand the difference in right and wrong and becomes responsible for his sins, at that exact moment he's mature enough to understand, believe the gospel and to be baptized. At the exact moment he becomes mature enough to be responsible for sin, he's mature enough to believe and be baptized to get rid of his sin through the death of Christ. How about let's go to Acts chapter 8 to look at another passage that clearly shows that infant baptism is unscriptural. Now, I'm going to Acts 8, and we're going first to verse 12 to set the context. Here we have in Acts 8, Philip is preaching to Samaria. Okay? In verse 6 it says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, in the New King James Version it says multitudes. Not just the people, but the multitudes. Evidently there's a lot of people here. Now, I don't know how many people are there, but multitudes. Let's just say, as a hypothetical, Maybe 500 people. Let's take this call, if we don't mind. Julia from New Mexico, go ahead with a Bible question or comment, please. Early on in the Bible, there after Adam and Eve were created, 
God says to be fruitful and multiply, replenish. Doesn't replenish mean that you're, um, you're, well, you know what replenish means. Can you please explain it in this context? Yeah. Is there someone? No, not necessarily. It may look like that from the English word, but the Hebrew word, the footnote just says, fill the earth. Fill the earth. So this is, the word is not trying to imply there was an earth before with, with a lot of people that died out as if he's replenishing it in, in the sense of replacing a lot of people who are gone. It's fill the earth, okay? Fill the earth. I think the English there may be throwing you off. There's no implication from the word that there were people living <clears throat> before Adam and Eve. You know, it says in the beginning, verse 26, well, I should start back in verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes through six days. And on the sixth day, he said, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So he makes man on the sixth day. There's been no men created before that. This is the beginning of mankind. And it was on the sixth day. So there's nothing before, no human, there's nothing before these first six days. Exodus 20 says, God made the heavens and the earth in six days, therefore, and rested the seventh. Therefore, he told the Israelites to rest on the Sabbath, seventh. So we know these six days are 24-hour days because Exodus 20 makes it clear that he's telling us to worship to, he's not us, but he's telling the Israelites that they should rest on the seventh 24-hour day because God did. I don't think there's anything in that, Julia, but maybe I can do my homework and give you some, a better answer instead of one right off the yeah. cuff. Maybe... Maybe I can call you after yeah, the program's it, over and we can connect up. I'll send you something more well, thank, detail. Thank you, because I just looked up the Hebrew and you are correct, but it just is kind of confusing with the word replenish. <clears throat> what did the Hebrew say? Um, what you said, fill. Okay. Fill, a primitive root to fill. Um, um, what else does it say? Um, Julia, thank you for your call, okay? Okay. Anything, any other questions? So we're looking at Acts chapter 8. There's some multitudes there listening to Philip's preaching. Let's just guess 500 people. That'd be a multitude. <clears throat> we don't know exactly how many, but let's just guess 500. Now, if there's 500 people there, you would think that there's going to be some infants and small children in the audience. Well, especially in those days when there was no such thing as daycare centers. And so if there's 500 people there, there's going to be some infants and small children there. But verse 12 says in Acts 8, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even though there's probably a lot of infants and small children in that large audience, the only ones that were baptized were men and women, adults. Now, we're not saying you have to be 21 years old to be baptized. Back then, you were probably considered an adult at 12 years old. But only men and women were baptized. None of the infants and the children small children that were there. According to verse 12, it says, when they believe Philip, only the believers are baptized. So that indicates that infant baptism is unscriptural because there would have been a lot of infants, we think, with the multitude being there and small children, but none of them were baptized, only adults. <clears throat> and then let's go to Acts 8, verse 35 through 37. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And they went on their way and they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. Let's think about that. The eunuch is preaching Jesus. Excuse me. Philip is preaching Jesus to this eunuch. And evidently, preaching Jesus meant that he's going to talk about baptism because he's preaching, G, he's preaching Jesus to the eunuch. And the eunuch, they come upon a body of water, verse 36. What's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all that heart, thou mayest. The eunuch wants to be baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. May what? May be baptized. What does that imply? That if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. You see how that shows that believing is a prerequisite to baptism? If he says, if you believe, you may be baptized, that shows that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. When I'm debating publicly this subject, this is the first verse I turn to. It's very clear. you got to believe first before you can be baptized. That's what it's basically saying. Infant baptism is unscriptural according to God's word. Baptism, who, what, and why? Well, the who should be a believer. And it should be an immersion of a believer, not sprinkling of a believer. This Greek word translated into baptism is baptizo. It's the Greek word. According to these famous used, well-used Bible dictionary, Thayer says this word means immersion or submersion. We're not talking about the definition of the English word. We're talking about the definition of the Greek word baptizo. That's what we want to look at because the New Testament was written in Greek. Bynes says it means immersion, submersion, and emergence to dip. Wygram Green says it means to immerse. So if you knew the definition for this word baptizo, you would know that it means to immerse. If you're reading a book, you don't know what a word means. You look it up in the dictionary. Now you know what it means. Well, we look this word up in the dictionary, baptizo, and it means immersion. So we should know right off the bat, just from the definition of the word, that baptism should be immersion. If you have a Bible question or comment, <clears throat> call us at 877-655-6755. We had somebody on the line a while ago, and I didn't click you in quite soon enough. If you'll call right back, we'll get you in. 877-655-6755. Let's look at one verse to, to show that baptism should be an immersion. We could look at a lot more, but let's just take the time to look at Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Here the Bible says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now the very first part of that verse says, we're buried with him, meaning with Christ, by baptism. Think about this illustration. When somebody dies, we take them out to the graveyard to bury them. Does that mean we sprinkle a little dirt on their head or we put them all the way up under the ground? Yeah, we know what the word buried means. So when we apply, when this says you're buried with Christ by baptism, would that mean that we, in baptism, we sprinkle a little water on their head or put them all the way, all the way up under the water? Put them all the way up under the water, right? We bury them. So baptism should be the immersion of a believer, not the sprinkling of a baby. That's clear. Anybody got any arguments with that? Go ahead and call us in, 877-655-6755. It's not like the Bible's going to teach two different things. This is God speaking here. If he teaches baptism should be the immersion of a believer, he's not going to say somewhere else that sprinkling babies is okay. You can't have two plus two equal four and five. It's either four or five. Both answers can't be right. 
Now let's talk about the third point on my outline. Baptism, who, what, and why. Why should a person be baptized? It is because baptism is when, when a person submits to baptism, that's when he's saved from his sins. We already read Mark 16, 16. Let's read it in connection with this issue. Mark 16, 16. But first, let's take this call. Bob from Tennessee. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, uh, I'm listening here to you to your sermon here or message, and you say first question would be to verify when you're saved by the blood of the cross. When you die, you go to heaven, correct? Yeah, if you're saved by the blood of the cross, when you die, you go to heaven. That's right. After you after you die, you go to heaven. That's exactly right, Bob. So when Jesus was crucified with the, the two thieves, one of the thieves, he told him that surely today you will be with me in paradise. But he wasn't baptized with water. Right. Yep. That's for the same reason that Adam wasn't baptized. Moses, Abraham, Joshua, right. Noah. None of those had to be baptized. The guys had to be baptized because the Old Testament law didn't require baptism. This, the baptism is strictly a New Testament ordinance. And the thief was forgiven while the Old Testament law was still in effect. For Let me tell you about the New Testament law is the one, like we were going to read a while ago, Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, that clearly shows you got to be baptized to be saved. But when did Jesus say that? That was many days after the thief died. Thief didn't have to be baptized. He's under the Old Testament law, not the New Testament law. Luke 24, 47 says that Jesus says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Bob, what do you think that means? What began to be preached at Jerusalem according to Luke 24, 47? Baptism. Well, the New Testament law, that's right. But baptism would be part of that because in Acts 2, 38, at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, that's the first time that baptism was required for salvation. Peter said in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, maybe 50 days after the thief died, repent. He said this to believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So the thief died before the New Testament law went into effect, before this requirement to be baptized, to be saved. Moses, Abraham, thief on the cross, Noah, Adam and Eve, they didn't have to be baptized. The law they lived under didn't even mention baptism. You can read the whole Old Testament all the way through. Bob, you'll never read about water baptism in the Old Testament. Does that answer your question, Bob? It uh, does answer that part of the question. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Bob. Bye-bye. And so Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And Jesus said in John 3, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Whatever he's talking about there, being born of the water and the Spirit, you have to do it to be saved, to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, water, born of water, the only thing in the New Testament that involves water of spiritual significance is water baptism. So what he's saying here is you have to be baptized in water according to the teaching of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God to be saved. Another passage that teaches you got to be baptized to be saved. Saul of Tarsus, who believed on the road to Damascus, he was told to go into the city and Ananias would come and preach to him and tell him what he had to do. Well, Ananias told him in Acts twenty-two sixteen, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So the Baptist position is you're saved at the point of belief. 
It's that Saul believed on the road to Damascus. The Baptist will say Saul was saved from his sins on the road to Damascus. But here, at least three days later, Saul is being told by Ananias that he has to be baptized to get his sins washed away. And so, it's pretty obvious you're not saved till you're baptized. Now, we're all agreed it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. But when does it wash away our sins? Well, with Saul, it was not when he believed, but at least three days later when he was baptized. 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism doth also now save us. So obviously you've got to be baptized to be saved. We already mentioned Acts 2.38. Peter told believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So you've got to repent and be baptized to get the remission of sins. Not just repent, but you've got to be baptized. Galatians 3.26 and 27 teaches that you're baptized into Christ, which means until you're baptized, you're not in Christ. You're lost. If you'd like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free Bible study with me on the phone, 256-682-9753.